to another edition of Meet the Metapreneur. It's not very often that I get to talk to social entrepreneurs and people who believe in campaigning for digital economic justice. I'm fortunate today to have with me Jamie Brett, who's coming in from the UK. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Um, lovely to be here. No, it's awesome. And um, I'm happy that you could join today. And I'm also blessed that I got to know you early this year um, as a panelist on our webinar and on so many different occasions. I'm a big fan. I love your story. And I'd like you to share your journey with our audience. Over to you, Jamie. Sure, not a problem at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I essentially um, uh, kind of from a background point of view, uh, I, when I was in school, uh, I had pretty average education. I had undiagnosed dyslexia that I didn't know at the time. Um, and that created a lot of challenges going through school. I've also got a brother who, uh, at the time that he was born, was born 16 weeks premature. We didn't, my mum didn't know she was pregnant with him till the day she had him. Uh, and that at the time he was the most premature baby born in the UK to survive. Um, and that led to him growing up. He had a, he was partially deaf, partially blind. So we, we had a lot of exposure to uh, different abilities within our, our household. Um, and also when I was going through the education system, so from the age of about 15, I started having seizures while I slept, sometimes up to three times a night, three times a week, which you can imagine had a huge impact on my education. So from 15 to 18, I was in and out of hospital. And I think even worse than having seizures was uh, being in a situation where you were trialed on experimental drugs and all of this kind of stuff, because that's the kind of thing that makes life very difficult as well to be able to process what's going on. Um, and between, so between those ages, I had a lot, of, um, a lot of challenges to be able to work through. But I was really fortunate enough that when I was 18, medical, uh, I stopped having that kind of chronic illness and was able to move forward with my life. But by that point, I'd gone through the whole education system and not really come out with anything. Um, and I was signing on at the job centre one day and I came across a gentleman there who was basically like, we have this free programme. It's with an organisation from the Princess Trust. They help you build your confidence. It's got a residential element. It's all around helping building up your employability skills. I was like, that sounds like the right thing to me for me, even if it's just to stop the job center on being on my back for four months. That's all I'm all I really want. But I'll take the course as well. Um, and it was absolutely phenomenal. I did a great job of kind of rebuilding that confidence and those skills and that ability. And for all of my sins, I ended up then working for them for next six, the next six years. So I started off working in outreach, supporting other young people onto Princess Trust programs. Uh, then I started delivering the program. So I would work with some young people in London that faced the, some of the greatest adversities um, into employment education training. I also moved to London initially on 15 grand a year, which is what I wouldn't recommend to my worst enemy, uh, because you can imagine that is, uh, from an economic point of view, a very difficult standpoint to be able to uh, self-sustain on. So, yeah, I started delivering these Prince Trust courses and, and working with young people with a range of different challenges, be it from a mental health perspective, be it from a uh, neurodiversity perspective, bodily ability, um, background, income, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and it really kind of got me understanding the challenges that marginalized communities face uh, in it, particularly in London, but much on a much wider scale as well. 
Uh, after a few years of doing that, I delivered the STEM strategy for the whole of the UK. So I went into a strategic role and started looking at how we could get young people from marginalized backgrounds, from, from less economic backgrounds into the STEM sector. So science, technology, engineering and maths. Um, and then moved on to working for uh, the Open Society Foundations, which is the second largest philanthropy in the world. Has a 16 billion pound endowment. It's not a lot you can't do with 16 billion pound, it turns out. Um, turns out it's just about enough money to be able to go and get things done. So I worked on their talent team and started off as a specialist uh, working within the UK on, and Europe um, and working on big transitions like moving 150 people from Budapest to Berlin in Vienna. Uh, then went on to be manager for that team, managing the onboarding process from New York to Singapore. And it was at that time, I was like, I, as, as meaningful as this work can be, I want to do something that really allows me to work with the communities that I care about. And from delivering these trainings for OSF, um, I recognized how great C-suite training is, but a lot of the training that we give to these people who are, who are much higher up in organizations uh, never really makes its way down to people who will probably benefit most from it, particularly those who are part of marginalized communities who are disenfranchised and don't have access to that kind of, that kind of training and knowledge. So the whole point of me setting up my social enterprise was a bit of a Robin Hood model, which was, yes, I'm going to continue to deliver the C-suite trainings and, and make sure that we have all of those skills for our big corporate clients, but I'm going to take the same training and I'm going to adapt the content for schools, charities, community organizations and communities and reinvest the gains that I get from my corporate work into uh, the work that I do for that, those communities as well. Jimmy, that's a, yeah, that's an amazing story right there. And, uh, you know, I totally uh, understand, you know, um, your early life and what has driven you uh, to be working for others. And, uh, you know, Web3 is supposed to be a level playing field, right? Equal opportunity for all. So I feel that diverse people should not only be participating but they should be the architects they should be the builders and they should be the curators of the metaverse so i know at meta hub uh, your agency that's what you are uh, pushing for so tell our audience a little more about uh, you know your day-to-day -day activities at meta hub sure yeah so um basically the, the that first social enterprise around the the training aspect um happened, I set it up the week before we went into the pandemic, which obviously is the best time to go set up your first business. Um, so, and training services were not in high demand at the beginning of the pandemic. So what I started doing was exploring ways that I thought, what's going to, what's the world going to look like when we come out of the pandemic and how's training and facilitation going to be different in a year, two years time. We don't know at the time how long it was going to be, but in a few years time, so I started using virtual reality as a way to facilitate training and just learning how the technology works, where it's come from, what are the, the benefits of it, what, what can we do from it. And one of the big areas that I found really interesting from a technological point of view was being able to design the virtual environment and customize it to suit the educational needs that we're working with. Because environment is such an important factor to the information that we're providing. And when we look at something like VR, where it has a 26% higher emotional reaction and is engaged with for 36% longer than uh, 2D content, 
from a learning perspective, that's an ideal situation. It's also 44% more addictive. And if we're talking about from a learning perspective, we can definitely capitalize on that to really bring across new information and to engage people in a different way. So that's when I started to explore that facilitation and then came up with MetaHub. Uh, we I registered the name literally two weeks before Meta uh, made their big announcement. So that was good timing on that part. And the whole point of MetaHub was looking at how we can design these virtual environments in order to be able to deliver conferences or events or whatever, uh, as well as supporting on general knowledge and information around VR and the metaverse uh, to be able to provide to our clients to be able to support them moving through, really. Yeah, talking of events, uh, I know we are together hosting on 18th May a webinar. Uh, so, and it's going to be centered around inclusivity. Can you uh, give a glimpse of what you'll be talking about on that day? Sure. I mean, this is where I tie in kind of three different factors, which is being a digital economic justice campaigner, a social entrepreneur, um, a workshop facilitator, and a metaverse architect. And a lot of the trainings that I deliver around inclusive tra inclusivity training, so whether that's a disability inclusion or neurodivergency inclusion, and it's really about understanding the barriers that marginalized communities face, particularly when it comes to virtual environments, because what we've seen throughout Web 1 and Web 2 was that people who already face some of the greatest adversities in a digital environment have those, in, uh, those inequalities magnified, and that creates even further inequality. So the way that I always look at it is like a toll gate. And if you've got stuck very early on through one of the toll gates, as the power of the web increases and keeps going forward and forward, you end up falling further and further behind. So what we're going to be looking at in this webinar is looking at the disabling barriers that stop participation. So particularly focusing on the five um, that I tend to go through, which is the social ones, the income factors, enablement factors, policy factors um, and accessibility factors. So these are the disabling barriers that can stop somebody being able to participate. And if we want to create an inclusive metaverse, we want to be able to identify what problems we're actually trying to solve that enable people to be able to participate further. So we're going to be going into some of the high level concept aspects, but as well as having lots of resources and tools that people will be able to download and be able to take away with them to be able to think about when they're building their Web3 and Metaverse products. Amazing, I can't wait to get that uh, webinar started. And one more thing that I've been reading and I think uh, you will agree that post COVID, uh, people have been confined to working from home and still continue to do so. And that has created a lot of mental health challenges, right, in its wake. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something uh, you've done some work on and could you also be touching on that in the webinar? Sure. Um, so from a mental health perspective, definitely I'm a, I'm a mental health first aider uh, and I deliver the mental health first aid training, uh, specifically the youth mental health first aid training. Um, just another thing, I like to be a bit of a polymath and have a few things on the go at the same time. Um, yeah. So from a mental health perspective, we're seeing a lot at the moment that as we've come out of the pandemic, people don't often recognize that trauma isn't actually experienced at the time that you go through the trauma. Trauma is experienced when you start to process the trauma. And now we've started, people began to kind of settle coming out of the pandemic and they've actually got that time and place to think. Now they're going and experiencing the traumatic reactions or trying to process the traumatic situations that we're going through. 
And this has led to a huge increase in mental health services, um, where I know at the moment some of the waiting lists for CAMS, which is the uh, child mental health services in the UK, can be up, for up to three years long, which is absolutely crazy. If you're thinking about needing support now and we're talking year, you're being years away from getting it, that's, that has a massive impact on people. So technology such as virtual reality, metaverse and artificial intelligence gives us those opportunities to try and build some kind of easy to access supplemental services that we can use to help aid people in their mental health journey. And when we think about mental health, we're always thinking about a continuum moving from a place of you know, good mental health, uh, being in a, in a strong situation, and often people move around and we're trying to get them to the recovery bit. So it's what interventions can we take along the way to help people to be able to get through to that recovery aspect. So we'll definitely look at the different aspects that can impact people from a mental health perspective and how we can support people using technology in order to be able to do that. Because a lot of the time when we talk about marginalized communities, we always see the more marginalized someone is, the, the more higher likely, uh, the more likely they are to experiencing experience mental health illness. Right. Uh, amazing journey, like I said before, uh, Jamie. And, you know, I meet a lot of uh, startups and young entrepreneurs, the Gen Z who are now entering the metaverse, uh, uh, you know, for the first time. So based on your learnings and experience thus far, uh, specifically in terms of new technologies, uh, what are the two tips you would like to share with youngsters who are, uh, you know, very keen to make a success of things in the metaverse? Over to you. Um, I would say probably the first tip that I would give is you need to look for um, meaning in what you're doing. You know, you get if you're looking for the end result all the time, and this is from someone who's, as I said, set up a business during a well, set up three businesses during the pandemic. Uh, if you're looking for quick wins or you're looking for outputs to, you know, for huge monetary gain and all of that kind of stuff, unless you've got the resources and network, and I, I come from a working class background, like I don't have that network, um, you need to be able to think about how you're going to look for meaning in what you're doing, because you can suffer through a hell of a lot if you find it meaningful. But if you're looking for the outcome and happiness and it's going to bring you everything that you want straight away, that's very unlikely. So definitely ask yourself if this is a meaningful process for you. And one more tip. Uh, uh, one more tip. Yeah. And the other one I would say is you've got to put yourself out there, knock on as many doors as possible. And it's uncomfortable and it's tricky. And once again, if you don't have the network there, you, you might not have a huge network to be able to leverage, but you could knock on a thousand doors and hear a thousand no's, but it only takes one person to say yes before you've got something that's worthwhile for you. So, you know, that, that rejection aspect, you need to be able to push through in order to get the best results. Amazing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and if I may just add from uh, my point of view, uh, I'm still a newbie in the metaverse, but what I've, uh, I've learned is that uh, all these new technologies, especially Web3, it's all about collaboration. So build a community, reach out to people, and through personal experience, the best people I have met in my life have been in the last four months, ever since I stepped into uh, the metaverse, so to say. So yeah, let's collaborate. Let's keep this conversation going. Thank you, Jamie, for spending time with me today. And I look forward to seeing you on 18th at the webinar. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. And yeah, uh, really look forward to seeing people at the webinar on the 18th. So uh, I'll catch you then.
Ja, super. Bye.